Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Tuesday, the 14th of March in London. Coming up today... Material weaknesses. Credit Suisse says it's uncovered issues with its risk assessment process. Getting those 80s vibes. Two-year Treasury yields remain on edge after the biggest plunge in decades. Pricing the peak, traders bet on a pivot after the first US bank failure since 2008. Plus, are higher BOE rates finally working? New data show that UK wage growth slowing for the first time in more than a year. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning from London. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Anna Edwards. You're listening to Daybreak Europe. Credit Suisse says it's identified material weaknesses in its reporting procedures for the last two financial years and is adopting a plan to fix them. Its annual report, released today, says internal control over financial reporting was, quote, not effective. Bloomberg's finance editor Tom Metcalf says it's the latest negative headline for Credit Suisse. This is just a list of your bad news. And to be honest, I can't remember the last time I've come on and talked uh, positively about Credit Suisse. That was Tom Metcalf speaking to us earlier. Meanwhile, the bank's chairman, Axel Lehmann, is to forego a payment of one and a half million Swiss francs for his first full year in the job after the bank reported its worst annual performance since the 2008 financial crisis. The yields on two-year treasuries falling again today after suffering the biggest drop since the 1980s. The failure of Silicon Valley Bank and other small lenders has pay- played a part in pushing the yields down by more than 100 basis points over the three previous trading sessions. PIMCO Managing Director Jerome Schneider says the events have forced a shift in trader bets for the Fed. Well, obviously, there's a change in sentiment here. And the sentiment is simply that whereas the inflation dynamic, people focusing on higher inflation with the Fed being on hold for longer, was simply driving the terminal rate much, much higher, that's simply been recalibrated to not necessarily that the Federal Reserve is going to get another rate hike and, more importantly, might have to entertain rate cuts over that point in time. The simple bond math simply says that that recalibration means yields should be lower. Jerome Schneider was speaking as global financial stocks have lost as much as $465 billion in market value in the wake of SVB's collapse. The first US bank failures since 2008 have turbocharged concerns that more rate hikes will tip the global economy into a recession. Goldman and others now expect the Fed to hold rates at its March meeting. But former US Treasury Secretary Larry Summers disagrees. My guess would still be that it will be appropriate for the Fed to move by 25 basis points uh, at its meeting next week, though conditions are always subject uh, to uh, change. 
Larry Summers was speaking to Bloomberg as traders turn their attention to today's US CPI print. Economists surveyed by Bloomberg are forecasting a month-on-month increase of 0.4%. That would be a deceleration from January's half percent increase. The shockwaves from SVB's collapse have entered the political mainstream too. US President Joe Biden says he intends to strengthen banking regulations. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Now, Biden's team are yet to lay out any policy details on what the tougher regulation could look like. The collapse of SVB last week is set to go down as the second largest bank failure in US history. If it causes a financial crisis, it could pose a major challenge to Biden ahead of the 2024 elections. And Prime Minister Rishi Sunak also sought to reassure markets. I think the Bank of England governor was right and the Chancellor was right to address this and make it clear that actually our banks are well capitalised and they don't have any concerns about um, systemic risk. And as we've seen over the weekend, we've been able to resolve the issue of Silicon Valley Bank in the UK as it's been purchased by HSBC. Sunak is currently in California, Silicon Valley Bank's home state, in fact, as part of a visit to the United States. He spent his flight there brokering the negotiation to sell off SVB's UK arm, protecting the £6.7 billion it had in deposits. Well, the UK wage growth has slowed for the first time in more than a year. According to the ONS, average earnings growth, excluding bonuses, fell to 6.5% from a year earlier. The data suggests an unprecedented series of Bank of England rate hikes is starting to be felt in the labour market. Job vacancies fell by 51,000 during the three months to the end of February. And those are our top stories this morning. But of course, Anna, the, the news agenda is still very much being dominated by the fallout from SVB. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just watching, sort of almost for my own amusement, the two-year Treasury yields just flick between, you know, falls and rising. It yep. feels like every time I look at it, it's completely different than how it was yes, a couple of minutes and, earlier. And, and bizarrely, we got some lo- news lines out of Credit Suisse earlier on this morning, and such is the fragility of these markets and the volatility of these markets, sensitivity, I suppose, that that had a macro impact. And we saw the movement in two-year yields as a result. But are you playing this game, uh, Stephen, which is to sort of tally the number of big voices in the media saying we're heading for a financial crisis and the number who are not? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting game to play. I saw Michael Burry of a Big Short fame. He does not think that we are heading for some major financial crisis. I know our Markets Live colleague Mark Cudmore agrees. <laughs> That's comfort enough for me. Well, good. And I'm glad that you're taking comfort from that. I, on the other hand, have been reading Mark Rubenstein's piece on the terminal about bank failures. And he reminds us that 565 banks yes. have failed in the past 23 years. Um, and I bet we couldn't name very many of them if we tried. Right, exactly. Between 2011 and 2020, so this is after the financial crisis, banks collapsed at a rate of around two a month. They weren't very big, but they still collapsed. True. I'm wondering how much there might be piggy banks. Anyway, OK, let's <laughs> let's move on from there and talk more about the news on Credit Suisse this morning. The lender saying that it had identified these material weaknesses in the reporting procedures for the last two financial years. Our managing editor for EMEA Finance, Michael Moore, joins us now for more on this story. Michael, what does the word material mean in this context and how much importance should we be attaching to it? So it's not material in the sense of the financial statements themselves. Uh, the, uh, the, they said the financial statements for 2022 accurately re- reflect uh, their status, um, but it's more about the procedure to get there. 
and there were not enough checks in place and they need to take steps to fix that, which they said could be costly and, and time consuming. Uh, so it's more about the process than the result. Mm, yeah. So if you if you if you were if, if things were very calm in markets and if there hadn't been a lot of drama around Credit Suisse recently, you could perhaps see a time where that wouldn't have a negative impact on the right. business because they'd say there were these issues with the process, but the result wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, so we'll fix the process and, and everybody moves on. But the stock is down another one point nine percent today on the back of substantial falls yesterday, down yeah. by nearly ten percent by the close. This is a really nervous market that this news falls into, isn't it? Yes. As you say, this is not the time for people to be questioning the process of <laughs> how you get to your numbers. Uh, so, yeah, it's more about that sentiment, uh, the the fact that Credit Suisse has just had a series of, of bad news um, more than it is this p- particular issue. One of the other elements that we learned from this um, report is that Axel Lehman, the chairman, is waiving his one and a half million Swiss francs, or $1.6 million, if you prefer it in that way, uh, of his, his first full year uh, payment on the job. How important is that, given that Credit Suisse is you know, elsewhere handing out money to try and retain top talent? Yeah, I think it's showing solidarity with the management team who didn't get a bonus this year. Um, you know, this was a catastrophic year for the bank in terms of uh, its loss. It's, you know, the uh, having to do another strategy reboot, um, having uh, clients step away. So I think um, that just shows, you know, the acknowledgement that it was a tough year and, uh, you know, reflecting Mm. that. Over in the United States, then, the fallout from SVB continues. I I think the FDIC is still trying to find buyers for either it or bits of it, Mm -hmm. and bits of the loan book seem to be attracting attention. Is that where this moves next? Because the the, the sort of regional banking part of the the U.S. uh, infrastructure seems very nervous still. It does. It does. And it seemed like over the weekend they were pursuing you know, the path of trying to get one buyer for the whole thing very quickly. That did not come together. So, uh, it, you know, they may get the most value by selling it off in, in bits and pieces. The thing with SVB is that, you know, part of its problem was it had this huge book of securities, mostly treasuries and agencies, uh, that got hit by rate rises. But that does make it a little bit easier to unwind because those are easy to sell. And if that's more than half of the assets, uh, then you're not talking the same level of, uh, you know, size needed. Michael, thanks very much. Michael Moore joining us there with the latest on the banking sector, our uh, managing editor for EMEA Finance with the latest on Credit Suisse and the aftermath of SVB. Well, of course, there's much broader market impact from this as well as the collapse of SVB has led to repricing of what traders think the Federal Reserve will do next. We've been watching this, I think I've described as an interesting morning for treasuries. The two-year treasury yield, if you like to know how it's changed in the past 11 minutes, uh, is now (laughs) up four basis points at 4.02%. I mean, I could have literally picked any number out of a hat between 1 and 20 this morning, plus, and or and change the integer as applicable uh, to see where it's moving. Our market supporter, Valerie Titel, is here to make some sense of all of this for us. Uh, Valerie, w- what's happening? <laughs> there is a big position uh, de-risking and unwinding going on, which is causing this market volatility. You have to remember, it was only a week ago the market thought they were going to have to start hedging for 6% Fed funds rate. So the positioning washout has been
been causing this volatility and st- we still don't know whether all that positioning has been washed out or do we see another big rally today in the front end? Uh, g- given the picture this morning, it's looking quite confusing which way we're headed. But the, the confusion is mirrored across the street. Uh, you only take a look at the uh, the dispersion of Fed calls we've seen. We have... MS and City both holding to their 50 basis point rate rise for the Fed next week. And then we have Goldman Sachs Barclays coming out saying this warrants a pause. And then Nomura late last night calling for a 25 basis point cut. And not only that, an end to their quantitative tightening program. So the street is as confused as the market this morning. Okay, so the market is a bit confused. We see movements of four basis points, which don't even touch the sides now, do they? Given that we've seen uh, two-year yields on treasuries down by more than 100 basis points in three sessions. This is the big positioning clear out that you referenced then, uh, Valerie. So that's been the direction of travel, unwinding all of the hawkishness of recent, well, a lot of the hawkishness of recent months. But let's remember that the reason that we'd seen that hawkish positioning was because CPI was proving to be sticky. Core inflation readings, we talked a lot about, you know, core services and what that was doing in the US. We get that CPI print later on today, Valerie. It's hard to, it's hard to think that it that it really moves, well, that it can overrule the, uh, the, the SVB story or counter it. But on the, on the other hand, it is what the Fed's monetary policy is supposed to focus on. Yeah, I, I think if we get uh, anything uh, remotely hot in this print today, the Fed is going to be in a massive pickle. Uh, the one thing that is still on the Fed's side in terms of their inflation fight is wage inflation. Last week's payroll print, even though the headline number still came in hot, it did not spur any further wage inflation. We're still seeing wages moderate. That's a good sign for the Fed. They've really tied their inflation fight to the labor market and to this wage inflation. So if we somehow get a shred of evidence in the CPI print today that maybe the core services CPI comes in a teeny bit soft, I do really think the echoes for a Fed pause will get louder today. The pickle comes if we get a hot print and the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place of, do I do something about the massive tightening in mm. lending conditions happening in the U.S. given this bank banking regional banking fallout? Or do I focus on the somewhat backward-looking inflation data from last month? You know, the Fed will input some sort of tightening of conditions into their models. Does it spit out a lower growth rate, a lower un- uh, a lower inflation rate, and a high enough unemployment rate to warrant? some yeah. sort of pivot. Somehow I feel comforted thinking about the Fed being in a pickle rather mm. than anybody being mm. in any kind of financial crisis. Indeed. And of course we won't know because it's the blackout period. So <laughs> that we'll just, they'll be stewing in silence uh, in their pickle juice. Um, a word on the global impact of this, Valerie. We're also looking at repricing for the ECB as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, it, it, which is very surprising given how many times we have heard from Lagarde that they intend to rise by 50 basis points on Thursday. Markets are now pricing in less than half of that. It, 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 one thing that I think will worry the ECB is the widening that we've seen in bank CDS credit spreads. So this is subordinated financials, senior financials. The spread widening there has been rapid. Now, a lot of people on the street are claiming that is because it's a positioning washout. There's a lot of people who got very long European banks on the narrative that higher... Mm. 
Uh, higher rates would, would help their bottom line. Perhaps this is just the positioning washout of that, but it is not a good sign for a central bank to be hiking 50 basis points in the face of bank CDS widening. I mean, th- th- that's unprecedented. Okay. So they are having to, to toe a fine line on Thursday. Okay, a lot of different uh, parts of uh, financial system trying to do different things, sort of uh, uh, monetary policy on the one hand, financial regulation on the other. Thanks very much to our markets reporter, Valerie Titel. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Anna, on the subject of SVB, I wanted to bring you a conversation that Caroline and I had with Stephen Chandler. He's co-founder and managing partner at Notion Capital. They have more than $700 million in assets under management. But they had £167 million of portfolio company money frozen at SVB UK over the weekend. We've been talking to him about what the HSBC rescue means for tech funding and his own risk appetite as a venture capitalist. So that is correct. Uh, We were obviously uh, collecting data from all of our portfolio companies over the weekend, and uh, that was the sum that they had frozen in the bank. Uh, I can happily report that uh, it has now been unfrozen and there is access to capital again. Had that not been the case, then, um, you know, it was a significant threat to the ecosystem. We actually had uh, 13 companies that we... uh, that we ranked as high risk of uh, some kind of needed support or insolvency issues over the next month, uh, were they not able to get access to their cash. Now that HSBC has taken over Silicon Valley Bank in the UK, will your portfolio companies stay with them or are they going to move elsewhere? Uh, I guess it depends on uh, HSBC's plans for the business. Uh, You know, our hope is that they will continue to deliver a kind of service that's tailored for the technology industry and that supports tech companies. And there won't be a big change in their kind of processes, systems, attitudes of risk, etc. After all, this was not an issue that was created by the tech companies themselves. It wasn't due to defaults or anything like that. This was a a good old fashioned bank run, if you like. uh, but different in many ways than than some of the previous bank runs we've seen, but but caused by questionable investment strategy within uh, within SV, SVB. Uh, so I, I hope that they will stay with them. I think the lesson that they will have learned, however, though, is to have a diversified banking relationship. One of the things uh, SVB did, which you know, with hindsight wasn't good, was that they tended to encourage their customers to only bank with them, particularly if they had credit lines. Uh, they, they insisted on that. And of course, that led to a huge amount of concentration risk with them. 
Okay. Do you, but overall, you think that this is a good outcome then for UK tech? I mean, the government is clearly quite pleased that unlike the US, the um, issue was wrapped up so swiftly. And yet uh, we were speaking to the city minister, Andrew Griffith, and he revealed nothing of whether any guarantees were given to HSBC, you know, in order to take on SVB UK, you know, for a pound. Um, but overall, you think it's a good outcome for UK tech? Yeah, I think it's a it's a very good outcome. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it was the best outcome we could have hoped for in the circumstances. The announcement was clear that there was no uh, tax uh, exposure or taxpayer exposure for for UK. Um, so um, you know, this was a deal that supported the tech industry without uh, having to be any kind of bailout from the taxpayer. Um, you know, personally, I feel that uh, HSBC got a fantastic deal. Um, you know, there are relationships with some great companies there. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, their loan book has always been uh, very strong. So I think for the price that they paid, they, they got a fantastic deal. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, if they continue the service, the type of service that SVP provided, then, you know, I think it's a great outcome for UK PLC and the tech centre sector in the UK as well. Do you think they will, though? I mean, HSBC is a very different beast from SVB. You know, it's it's a big, traditionally conservative bank. Is there? Would you be worried that perhaps they won't be as adventurous as the likes of SVB were? Yes, um, yes, I am frankly worried about that. Uh, and and just as as tailored to their needs, you know, the banking needs of these kind of companies are are quite different from uh, the broader economy, uh, and that's certainly a risk. And, you know, SVB played a very, very important role in the ecosystem, providing core banking services, but also as one of the preeminent lenders to the industry in terms of venture debt and other uh, debt products that they provided, uh, which, again, are very different than you get in conventional kind of profitable businesses. So, um, uh, you know, I think that will be a challenge for the ecosystem to make up their, that gap. There are a number of other providers out there for venture debt, but the, the gap between them and and SVB was was very very significant. We talked to a lot of startup businesses in the UK uh, recently. I was up in Cambridge speaking to people who kind of power uh, tech startups in Britain out of the Golden Triangle. They were absolutely damning about this government's strategy, the missing semiconductor strategy, um, the fact that you know not enough has been done um, to support tech businesses in the UK. And yet this looks like a win for Hunt and Sunak. Does this change your mind in terms of the UK government's attitude and ability to deliver for UK tech? Well, I, I, yeah, I think we need to celebrate the successes that, that we've had and, and, you know, credit to the, the industry, the technology industry, the VC industry for coming together and, and making sure people were aware of the existential threat that this cre uh, created. But then... Huge credit also has to go to the government, to, to the Prime Minister, to the Chancellor, the Bank of England as well, for um, you know what was very swift and divisive, uh, decisive uh, action. So, um, uh, you know, kudos for that. Uh, in terms of the longer term question, uh, I think you're right. There are there are lots of holes and challenges. Um, the language is the right language. You know, I think the Prime Minister is supportive of the industry and recognises what an important role it can play. Um, but I do need. To, I think we need to see, um, you know, more actions across the board to to support it. Um, I'm I'm wondering what was your weekend like 
what, what talk us through kind of how you saw this story unfolding, what you were doing over the weekend to to manage it, and and also I suppose how you felt about it given the the scale of impact this had. Well, um, yes, as as you probably guessed, it was um, pretty miserable. <laughs> Uh, so I guess it, it started last week um, on Wednesday and Thursday. Actually, on Thursday, I was sitting around a table with um, some other VC investors. And, you know, this is indicative of the, of the challenge we have these days because people's phones were just pinging uh, every you know few seconds with uh, concerned founders, concerned other VCs. The way that this uh, spread around, the news spread around the market was, you know, exceptionally fast. I think that's what made it very different from any kind of, bank run that we've seen before, you know, the ease with which customers can withdraw cash these days from a, from a digital bank, you don't need to go and queue up, etc. Uh, and the speed at which the, the news travels, both both of which travel with, you know, zero distribution costs. So uh, <laughs> very, very quickly and without friction. And, and that's why you saw such an enormous amount of money move 42 billion in, in, in 10 hours of banking, I believe, which is just an, a massive order of magnitude bigger than anything else we've seen, a million dollars a second. Um, and uh, so over the weekend, we were scrambling to capture data from all of our portfolio companies who were, you know, fantastically responsive. But these, you know, these these are people's livelihoods. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotion with people feeling that this is their money, which absolutely it is, and, and they should have ready access to it, and, and feeling that their um, livelihoods were at threat. So, you know, our job as VCs is to do more than just provide capital. We try and provide support and insight and help, and, and we were doing a lot of that over the weekend, obviously. Will your business have to change significantly as a result of of this? I mean, obviously, SVB is a, is a huge loss to the sector. Yes, um, you know, I, I suspect it will. The truth is, we don't we don't really know yet. Um, uh, you know, I think the if we have far less access to that that capital, which you know has a lower cost of capital than equity funding and uh, improves the overall cost of capital for the industry, if, if that goes away and the cost of capital goes up, then, you know, by definitions, valuations come down and, and the, the the ability to create value becomes harder. Um, there may also be pressure to not hold assets as long, um, you know, in order to provide liquidity back to to our investors and backers, you know, which, which itself creates a, a challenge for the tech ecosystem and industry, because actually what we want in the UK is uh, we don't want our very best companies selling out. We want them remaining independent companies, whether that's public or private, um, but uh, remaining a standalone entity and, bu- and building large scale tech companies for the future, something that the US has done very successfully. So, um, uh, you know, anything that hampers that I, I will be to our detriment. Yes, I think that's really interesting that you make that point, um, that you're backing UK tech, the growth of UK UK tech and UK tech remaining within Britain. I mean, is HSBC, which is a very Asian-focused bank, the best custodian, I would ask? And also, I suppose, maybe what do you want from the budget on that, the kind of overall view of, of the tech sector, as you were explaining so nicely, that you speak to on a daily basis? Um, you know, I think HSBC was a certainly a, a very good outcome. Um, what we needed was people to feel safe and secure, not not just for the, the tech industry, but also, um, you know, any kind of systemic implications or, or, or flows into other parts of the banking sector. And I think 
you know, HSBC clearly has that that balance sheet, sheet strength and, and that brand. So um, I think to that extent, it was it was a good choice. Um, obviously, it is uh, also an Asian bank. And, um, you know, that that creates some challenges as well. Um, but, you know, tech is a global industry and, and needs to address global challenges. And so uh, I think having a global perspective will actually be a net positive. Uh, as regards the budget, um, yeah, waiting to see what that holds. Obviously, um, you know, some of the signals around some of the very important things to us in the tech industry in the UK, like, for example, EIS and SEIS relief, um, uh, appear to be positive and uh, you know, we're grateful for the actions of the last week, as I said. So looking forward to seeing uh, what else there is in that. Has your risk appetite changed in the past week? Yes. I mean, we're in the business of taking risks. So our job is to assess risk on behalf of our investors and try and make good decisions. But when you're faced with um, these kind of issues and threats, uh, obviously, if you're at your appetite for risk is, is hampered whilst you gauge them and understand them. And that's what we've been trying to do. Um, and, and I think whilst that happens, people inevitably put, you know, hit pause to a certain extent. So uh, we're obviously not engaging as much with new potential investments as we otherwise would be because we're spending a huge amount of time with our portfolio and checking that they're all right and, and mm. understanding the risks that they face at the moment. So there will definitely be implications. But, you know, equally, the speed with which it's been addressed, thankfully getting done over the weekend so that we didn't have to go through Monday with this issue, which I do think would have been, you know, truly, um, truly damaging to the industry. The speed with which it happened does mean, you know, we hope to get back to business as usual as soon as we can, right? Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.